It is an honor to be at Desperation this week. I want to first say this. I love David Perkins. And every time I'm around this man, I am inspired to believe God for greater things than I have. And I love this team. And I am encouraged by all that's going on here. And uh, it is truly an honor to be able to be here with you tonight and uh, just go after God. There is so much anointing in the room right now. I am so stoked and inspired after watching that video and being in worship with you. Uh, I, there are one of the things that you have to get good at is recognizing what the Lord's doing and the moments that we're in. The Bible's very clear that although God is found, uh, uh, you know, God is available. There are times when he draws near to us. The Bible says to seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. And there are moments like this week, there are moments like tonight where we have to lock in that God is drawn near to us, that he is close to us. And it's in those moments that we call out for him. It's in those moments that we seek him. And you can't let those moments pass you by. I ask the Lord, I, we are here for one reason tonight. It's not to hear a preacher. It's not to hear a band. It's just to meet Jesus. It's to see him face to face. I want the Lord to so mark my life tonight that I would be ruined for the rest of my life for anything else but revival in the nations of the earth. That's what I want. I want him to so wreck me that my life will forever be marked. And I want you to come face to face with Jesus tonight. And I want you to be marked I am in a little bit of sentimental mode at 37 years old in the summer of 2013 because it was 20 years ago this summer where I encountered the Lord really for the first time in a significant way at 17 years old. And I went forward and I told the Lord I'd been saved since I was four, but I told the Lord at 17 years old at a church service, a night church service, I went to the front. I said, Lord, if I'm going to do this Christianity thing, I'm going to do it 100%. And that night, no goosebumps, no angels, nothing. I just said, God, I'm going to give you everything I have. And my life completely changed. And uh, it was 20 years ago. And 20 years ago this summer, and I, I am still lit up from that decision. I am still on fire for Jesus. I want to give everything. I still, I pray that same prayer. I find myself in my prayer closet 20 years later just saying, God, I know I told you when I was 17 years old, but I want to say it again. I give you my life. I give everything I have to you. I don't want any area of my life not completely surrendered to you. I want to see your cause carried out in the earth. And so I'm glad to be here tonight to join with you as we go after God. Do you have your Bibles? iPads, iPods, Droid, if they got the word of God on them, they're sanctified. Get it out. We're going to read, well, actually, I should say if it's an Apple product and it has the Word of God, it's sanctified. I can't, I can't vouch for anything else, but that's, if you have your Bibles, get them out. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We're going to go after God tonight. Mark chapter 3. Are you there? Punch your neighbor if you're there. And that's only because you brought a Bible. I heard a preacher say, 
I heard a preacher say, if you don't have your Bible, sit next to a Christian and read theirs. I'm not saying that's true. Mark chapter three, verse 13, this is Jesus. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Let's read it again. It's just good. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and then then he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. God, I am praying tonight. Lord, I am so stirred by the presence of God in this place tonight, by the anointing that is here. I'm so stirred by the heart of a generation to seek you in worship, to lift high the name of Jesus. I'm so stirred to see groups all over the nation that would take the challenge to take care of the poor of the earth. Father, I pray that you would come tonight We haven't come to jump through some hoop of religion. We haven't come to go through the ritual of church. We have come tonight to meet you face to face. We have come tonight that you might speak to us, that you might transform us, that we might be a catalytic, transforming agent in our society, in our culture, and in our generation. God, I am praying that you would speak so clearly to us tonight, that you would ignite a fire in us that would never go out. And then in 30 years, 40 years, we would still be marked by what you did tonight. The Lord began to speak to me in my early 20s about a new breed of revivalists that he was raising up in the earth. He began to speak to me about a generation that was going to give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord that we're going to see revival in the nations of the earth. And in that process, he began to speak to me about a generation of leaders that he was calling. I believe that God right now in America is calling a generation of leaders. Jesus, in this passage, the Bible says that he calls those that he he himself wanted. I believe that right now in America, there is a call for a generation of leaders to arise. And I believe that this generation of leaders will believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are not in society to be along for the ride, but that they are here to lead and not follow. One of the saddest things that I encounter in the body of Christ and in churches is when I see believers that somehow wake up every morning believing that they really can't make a difference, that all they are is just along for the ride in society. They watch the news and they go to school and they hear stories and they don't really believe in their heart of hearts that they're called to lead a nation. They believe they're just along for the ride. My family... I have three children, a 14-year-old girl who is starting high school this year. I do not know how that happened, but it is. I have a 10-year-old girl and an almost 8-year-old boy. 
And uh, we, we love to go on bike rides, and so we'll go on bike rides. And my kids, especially when they were little, um, they could ride bikes, but sometimes we went on a long bike ride. It was a little bit harder for them. And, and so we had a bike that would attach to my bike. And it was, it, was, it was a full bike, and it had, you know, a wheel and pedals and spokes and, you know, chain and handlebars and seat. But, but instead of a front tire, it had a long bar that attached to the seat post of my bike. And then I would ride, and, and you could pedal, and my kids, you know, Lake, my son, Lake, that's my boy. I love my boy. Named him after John G. Lake, because he's got an apostolic healer anointing on him. But all right, that's a different issue. Okay. So, Lake... He, you know, he'd get on the bike and he'd pedal for a little bit on our rides and, and pretty soon, you know, you'd look back and his feet would be up on the handlebars and he'd just be hanging out, letting me do all the work and, and we'd kind of go up hills and I'd say, Lake, is there any way you can at least look like you're making an effort for me? Like, just look like you're actually involved in this bike ride with me and pedal. He'd pedal for a little bit and then he'd be done with that and he'd just put his feet up and just be along for the ride. When we're in that mode, when I'm riding on the front bike and he's in the back bike, Lake on the back bike, he has handlebars, but they're just to hold on to. That's it. He actually has zero power, zero influence whatsoever of where we go. In the, in the back bike position, he can't say whether we go left, right, or straight. All of that responsibility and all of that authority rests on me, the one in front. I'm the one that determines whether we go left, right, or straight. Lake is along for the ride on the back bike. Here's what grieves my heart. When I see young people, when I see young believers that walk onto their campus that somehow believe they're on the back bike, that somehow our job is just to hold on. Our job is to every once in a while make a little bit of effort, pedal, but in the end, we can't really make a difference. There's nothing we can really do that ultimately, I'm just along for the ride in society. They walk onto their campus and they see things happening and they see this and that and nothing inside of them provokes them to say, I'm the one that determines where my generation goes. See, you've got to be real clear on this. Jesus looked at you and he said, you're called to disciple nations. He looked at you and he said, you're the head and not the tail. When we read about head, not the tail, we have this concept that it's kind of top bottom thing. When he says you're the head, not the tail, he's saying you're the head, not the tail. You're the one out front, not behind. You're called to lead, not follow. If I could just do one thing tonight, I would get you to believe this with all of your heart. I am not in my generation along for the ride. I am here to lead and where my generation goes, where my city goes, where my nation goes is dependent on my life because God has called me to be a leader. Every day I walk onto that campus, I've got something burning inside of me that says God put a mandate on my life, and that mandate is to lead. God didn't give the media the mandate to lead. He didn't give government the mandate to lead. He didn't give Hollywood the mandate to lead. He gave the church the mandate to lead. 
Listen, where America goes is dependent on your life. Listen, this is why it's hard for me to get discouraged about the state of America. Because I come into rooms like this tonight and I see you worship the Lord the way you're doing. And I'm thinking, oh, listen, hope is alive and well in America because I believe you are a leader and you are going to seek God with all of your heart and you're going to be the one that determines where things go. You're a leader. God's calling leaders. He's calling those that believe with all of their heart. I tell you, there comes a defining moment in your life. For me, it was 17 years old. There comes a defining moment in your life when you realize there is a call on my life. I am called to release the glory of the Lord in the earth. I am called to see cities saved. I am called to see nations transformed. I'm called to see my generation awakened. I'm called to see my generation encounter the love and the power of Jesus. There becomes that defining moment when you recognize, I'm not here just to survive. I'm not here just to make it. I'm not here just to be a good citizen. I'm here to lead. His call comes. But when he calls... There is a response required from us. Mark chapter 3, it says he called those that he himself wanted. And it says a simple phrase, and they came to him. God is calling a generation of leaders, but God's call requires a yes. I don't know in your reading of scripture if you've ever had verses that just completely uh, uh, frustrate you. One of these verses... I remember in my early 20s, I'd be praying. And, and there's a few times where Jesus said this phrase. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. And I just remember, I'd be on my knees before the Lord, and I'd just say, God, like I want to be, be chosen. I don't just want to be called. Like I, I want to be chosen, but I don't know what that means. And I don't know how to do that. And like, God, how do I know if I'm called, or how do I know if I'm chosen? Or I, and it would just stress me out. And then one day, I read... In Matthew chapter 22, one of the times Jesus says this, the context of where he said many are called but few are chosen. The context is a king that's putting on a a wedding for a son. And he says to his servants, he says, go out and invite people, my friends, and have them come. And the servants go out to invite him to the wedding and they all turn him down. They all say no. So the king says, go out, try it again. He goes out again. And this time they're mocking him. They beat the servants. They have all these excuses. They come back. So then the king says, listen, go out. And they just start going out and get anybody. And they bring him in. At the end of that passage, he says, many are called, but few are chosen. One of the things, we just moved. We, uh, my family just moved. And, and uh, um, I've said this for years, but I hate moving. Like I hate, hate hate moving. Like I hate packing. I hate putting things in boxes. I hate taking days and loading up furniture and bump and it's in the middle of the summer and it's hot and, and I just hate it. I hate moving. I hate unpacking. I hate the whole process. But what I hate more than moving is I hate helping other people move. And, and the problem is, is there's like this, there's, 
There's like a true test of friendship. Like if you really want to know who your friends are, move and find out who comes to help you move. Like that's the line. That's it right there. Whoever shows up to help you move, that's your real friends. Everybody else, fakers. They're not real friends. And so I don't know if you ever in that situation where, you know, like maybe David will come and there's a group of friends around and I'm in that group of friends and David comes and says, hey guys, listen, I'm moving on Saturday. Can anybody help me? Immediately, everybody in the group is like, oh my gosh, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. I know there's something going on on Saturday. I know there is. Please, you know, and and David, he's throwing in like lame things like, it's actually going to be a moving party, you know. We're going to have pizza and fellowship. And I'm like, okay, now he's making lame things up for this. I don't want to go to this. And, you know, everybody's trying on. And then then there's one guy who raises his hand and says, I'll help you. And David goes... Well, then I choose you. When the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen, you know what it means? The issue is not whether or not you're called. Every single person in this room is called by God to change the world. Every single person in this room has a call of God on their life to be a leader in their generation. You want to know what separates people? It's not the call. It's the yes. You want to know how you get chosen? You come into an environment like this. You're here for a few days. God starts calling you. In the midst of perhaps the greatest white preacher you have ever heard in your life. God begins to say, I'm looking for leaders in a generation. And immediately, people are like, oh my gosh, don't make eye contact with Jesus. Don't make eye He's asking, yeah, I know he's asking you to be a leader and I know it's his whole thing. And, like, and, 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 all, and then there's a handful of people that raise their hand and say, I'll do that, Jesus. And he says, well, then I choose you. You want to know how you get chosen in the kingdom? You say yes. You say yes. He's here this week calling you. You want to know what's going to separate you from everybody else? His call requires a yes. He called those that he himself wanted and they came to him. There is a yes in your spirit. But here's where it gets a little sticky. Here's where it gets a little bit more messy. Do you want to know why people don't say yes? Because there is a cost to that yes. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, everybody in this room would be completely sold out, abandoned, given everything to Jesus. But there's a cost involved to the yes. I believe with all my heart that God's raising up a generation of leaders. And I believe with all my heart that the difference between those that are called and those that are chosen are the chosen ones or the ones who just raise their hand and say, Jesus, I'll do it. But But the yes comes with the cost. When he calls you, He is asking for your entire life. You got to understand, Jesus is radical. Like, he's hardcore. Christianity is the most hardcore thing you'll ever do with your life, ever. And Jesus is radical. He's radical. When he shows up and asks you for something, he's not like half heartedly asking you. He shows up and says, I'm looking for leaders, and I'm going to require your entire life. All of it. 
This is what I realize. When he comes and people go, oh, I, I, you know, like, I, I don't know if I want to say yes to that. I don't know if I want to, like, listen, like, he's going to require stuff out of you. He's going to make you give up stuff. You know, your girlfriend, yeah, yeah, I know she's hot, but he may say don't date her. There's a cost to following Jesus. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Jesus was, Jesus was like phenomenal at gathering crowds. I mean, he'd be like healing the sick, casting out demons. He's multiplying food. The dead are getting raised. And by the thousands, they would gather around him. He'd have 15,000 on some hillside just wanting to see a miracle, wanting to see food multiplied. I mean, just thousands would gather around. I mean, the best growth ministry plan ever. And he'd get up and say some of the craziest stuff. He was constantly making it hard to stay and easy to leave. He'd get 15,000 on the hillside. And then he'd say the most offensive thing possible to a Jew. If you want to have any part of me, you have to drink my blood and you have to eat my flesh. And he wouldn't explain it. He wouldn't be like, well, listen, guys. And you know, people are like, oh my gosh, that is disgusting and, and offensive. And like, and he wouldn't be like, okay, guys, I'm not actually talking about my flesh and blood. I, I, I'm referring to a saltine cracker and grape juice. I'm not actually, like, you don't actually have to eat my flesh. He wouldn't describe it. He'd just be like, hey, you want a part of me? You have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. And people are like, okay, that's like, I was in like the, like the whole blind eyes opening. That was awesome. I love the free meal, but that's creeping me out, man. Let's go. And they'd all leave. He'd turn around to a handful that would stay. He'd say, are you guys going to leave too? And they, you know, you know, they're like, dude, seriously, we'd like to, because that's creeping us out. But we've encountered life in you. Like you have the words of life. I don't know where else we're going to go. And you know they're pulling Jesus aside going, hey, listen, here's the deal. Like, I, I, like, I'm digging the crowds and stuff, and I really think we could do a lot better job if you would just tone down the whole eat my flesh, drink my blood thing. <laughs> just tone that down just a notch, you know? He was hardcore. He was radical. When he comes, you want to know why they don't, you know why people don't say yes? Because it costs you something to follow Jesus. Can I read a passage that you're not going to want to hear? Luke chapter 14, listen to this. Luke chapter 14. I'm not going to read all of it, but now great multitudes went with him. Great multitudes, listen, great multitudes. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Did Jesus just tell us to hate my mother? Like this is. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, listen to this, intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. And he he describes a moment of of where you don't go build a tower without counting the cost because you're going to be halfway through building and run out of money and be embarrassed. Or nobody goes to war without checking out their troops unless you're there and have to surrender. And then this is what it said. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has 
cannot be my disciple. I believe you are the hope for America. That's what I believe. I believe America is going to turn to God. I believe we're going to see things shift in the nation because of your life. I believe that with all my heart. But I believe that it has to be a generation who is willing to count the cost and understand that if you're going to be chosen by him, it's because you said yes, and that yes comes with a cost. And you know what the cost is? Your entire life. That you are willing to forsake all that you have to be his disciple. It is an absolute true statement that salvation is free, and it's absolutely true that it will cost you your entire life. But listen, this is, this is what you have to understand, that this is Jesus. Like Jesus 101 is he gave you everything and he requires everything. Sometimes I, I, I chuckle because people have a problem with tithing, you know? They're like, oh, we got to give 10% to God and like the church is just trying to get my money and, and like I don't want to give 10% to God and da, da, da. And they, they, you know, they're all like, don't want to get. And I just chuckle because I'm like, you're missing the whole point. God doesn't want 10% of your money. He wants all of your money. God doesn't want 10% of your money. He wants 100% of your money. He wants everything you have. God doesn't come and say, hey, listen, here's the deal. Like, uh, is there any way I could maybe have 10%? Like, I gave my son, and he was 10% of who I am, so maybe you could just maybe throw 10% my way. That'd be awesome. Jesus comes and says, listen, I gave Jesus, Jesus, yeah, my son, my only son. Yeah, I gave him on a cross. There was everything I had, 100%. I require all of you. He doesn't want 10% of your money. Listen, get this in right now. He doesn't want your tithe. He wants 100% of your money. And he tells you 10% of that money that you gave me, give to the church, and then you can do 90% and be generous with the rest. But, but the reality is this, is that if, if the reason why you should rejoice when your Christianity costs you something, the reason you should rejoice when you, you've lost friends because of it or because people have made fun of you because of it or because the, the reason why you should rejoice is because if it costs you something, it's worth something. I, listen, I'm concerned with the Christian, I'm concerned with a generation whose Christianity hasn't cost them anything. It's like I follow Jesus and it's been, you know, it hasn't cost me anything. I remember we went down to Mexico one time on a missions trip, Tijuana. And there's Revolution Street there and they have all these like shops lined up and you're bartering back and forth. And, and uh, a guy, one of my friends comes, he's like, Banning, I bought a Rolex. I got a Rolex. It's gold. It's got diamonds all in it. And I'm like, that's awesome. How much was it? Eight dollars. He was asking 15, I got him down to eight. I'm like, well, that's awesome. And then like a week later, I kid you not, like the, you know, like the bands broke in, the diamonds are falling out inside. It wasn't a Rolex. Listen, it wasn't worth anything. You want to know why it wasn't worth anything? It didn't cost him anything. It didn't cost him anything. Benny, check out my Christianity. I got God down to like eight bucks. It was awesome. He was asking for like my whole life, and I'm like, oh, all right, whatever. How about eight bucks? 
You want to know one of my favorite shows is American Pickers. I I don't know why I love that show. I I DVR it. I I get like seriously a little excited every time there's a new episode on. I've seen all of them. I love Frank and Mike. I want to just, I want to be friends with those guys. I love American Pickers. And uh, you know, you watch American Pickers and they go through this whole like, every time they get in and they want to like buy something, they go through like kind of a negotiation, kind of bartering type process. Have you seen this show? Yes. You know, and they might come in and find some, you know, Kirkland bottle. And they're like, hey, listen, this Kirkland bottle, this is impressive. And they're like, you know, there's, uh, we don't run across these much. And uh, I'm going to have to put there because, you know, we don't run across those Kirkland water bottles much. And it's really rare if there's actually a cap still on it and the paper. And, uh, uh, you know, and they're like, what are you thinking for that? Throw me an offer, you know. And he's like, well, I'd like to get $400 for it. It's still got water in it. And, it, you know, and then the process starts where Mike and Frank are like, well, $400. I don't know if I could do that. And, you know, what about, you know, what about, what about a hundred? No, I don't know if I could do a hundred. Like this has been in the family for a long time, 300. They do this whole thing, you know, go back and forth. What about split the difference? 250. All right, 250. Somehow I think this is how we think we come to God. You know, you're in these meetings. You're like, God, I want to change the world. I give you, you know, God. And he comes, he says, all right, I'm going to use your life to change the world. Yes, use me. Okay, but I need your entire life. My entire life? Well, I mean, you know, that's, that's maybe a little bit more than I was willing to give. Like, I mean, my entire life. How about this, God? How about I give you some of my music, some of my friends, but then I keep, you know, my entertainment and I keep this. And then, and then God, you, we think God's up there going, well... I was really hoping for your friends. How about this? I'll let you keep your Jay-Z tapes, your Eminem tapes. I'll even let you keep Beyonce. And then, um, you know, you can keep, you know, your girlfriend and I'll take your friend. And we think this happens. Like, listen, I'm just telling you right now, God is not a negotiating God. Listen, God doesn't negotiate. Is this hard tonight? I'm just telling you, he doesn't negotiate. He, he wants everything you have. He requires everything you have. He wants your entire life. And the reason why many people don't say yes is because, I mean, I remember as a 17-year-old, I remember having to give up stuff, and I remember having to give up music, and I remember, oh, it was so hard. But he requires everything you have. The crazy thing is this, even talking about the cost, 20 years later for me, talking about the cost feels like so shallow at some level. Because I'm like, there is a cost involved, but we rarely talk about it. You know why we rarely talk about it? Because what we get in return, the cost isn't even on the, it's not even in the picture. There's, there's, Jesus tells stories of this man who found a treasure hidden in a field and with joy he sells everything to buy the field so he can have the treasure. Or a man in search of great pearls and he finds this pearl of great price and he sells everything for that pearl. It's hard sometimes talking about the cost because the reality is 20 years later, I'm like, I lost friends. And, and I lost Belle Bib DeVoe tapes. You don't even know who that is. 
vanilla ice tapes and Manili, Manili vanilla tapes. You don't know who these people are. And, and I think, oh my gosh, this is like, what, whatever the cost was, it doesn't even compare. But there is a cost. It's real. And here's, here's the deal. I'm, I'm calling a generation, and I have like one drum beat. I'm drum, I, this is all I want to hit around the nation is this. You've got to give everything. And if you'll give everything, God will use your life to transform nations. But, but God has a call in your life. That call requires a yes. But that yes comes from an encounter with his yes. And this is the big one to understand. Is that as I stand up here tonight and say, listen, what I'm asking from you and what God's asking from you is your entire life. Not some of your life, your entire life. Not negotiation process, you give them it all. But the only way that you're going to give God everything and say yes fully is when you encounter his yes for you. First John 4.19 says that we love him because he first loved us. We loved him because he first loved us. Which means this, your love for God is awakened when you encounter his love for you. Your yes is in response to his yes. So my love is awakened when I encounter his love for me. It's why it's so important that, that you're in worship, that you're in his presence. It's why it's so important that you're in the word. The word is one big massive love letter to you. The Bible is that. And so it's important that I encounter his love for me because when I encounter his love for me, it awakens my love for him. We love him because he first loved us. And, and the ability to so fully say yes to Jesus is attached to encountering his yes to you. And so when I get in his presence and I encounter again Jesus looking at me, and saying fully yes when I encounter again that the cross was one massive yes for me. The cross was one massive yes. That when I encounter that, then my yes for him is awakened. I say, God, I want to give you everything. And anytime I am struggling with surrendering my entire life to Jesus, it's only because I have distanced myself from the revelation that he gave everything to me. When I get close to him and I encounter again, God gave everything for me. Then it is, it is easy to say, God, none of this matters. All the stuff that I was struggling to give up. All the stuff that I, I couldn't quite get free of. All of that I'll give freely just so that I can give you everything. We talked about this two years ago, but, but this, this, is what, this is what we're called to. Your responsibility, one of the things in the American church is, is we've been satisfied with information and not revelation. Somehow we think that, listen, you will never fully say yes to Jesus if it is just information to you. If I was to go around this room right now and as I, if I was to ask you, does Jesus love you? 99% of you in this room would say yes. Because you read about it, because a preacher said it, because your parents said it, because you just know it to be true, because you sang a song about it. You would say yes, but most of us live in a realm called information. 
The problem is, is that information will never move you to full surrender. Information will never move you to a place where you give everything, no matter what the cost. No matter if your entire school makes fun of you. No matter if everybody abandons you. No matter what the cost. No matter what he asks of you. You will not do that out of information. You only do that out of revelation. And the difference is, and I, I watch UFC and... I don't, know if you're, I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but I watch UFC and I was, super, I was super bummed about Silva the other day. But anyways, if I, you know, I could watch whoever, you know, uh, and I could, wa- you know, I could watch Kane Blasquez and I could see that Kane hits really hard. He, he's got a nasty uppercut. And, and I could watch it with my eyes and I could read all the reporters. They could all say Kane's got a nasty right uppercut and I could, I could you know, I could hear, I could hear all the fighters that have fought him, same thing. And if you asked me, does Cain have a hard right uppercut? I would say with confidence, like conviction, yes. But it doesn't actually become revelation until I step into the octagon, lace up the, you know, put on the, the four ounce gloves, and it's about, you know, and about three seconds in, Cain connects to my jaw. My, you know, birdies start flying, knees start buckling. It's in that moment that I have the revelation, Cain hits really hard. Listen, it's the same answer. It's the same answer. Does Jesus love you? Yes. Does Jesus love you? Yes. I've had a revelation. I've encountered it. It's the, the only way that you're going to fully surrender everything is out of revelation, not information. And then, and then here's the kicker. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. You're old enough to go get with God. You don't need to be spoon-fed stuff. You don't need to have to come to a service every single time. I'll be honest with you. It's easy to burn in a meeting like this. It's not hard. This, this is not the hard part. When you got your favorite band up there and your favorite preacher up there, and, uh, and, and, and lights and a great sound. And there's, you know, thousands of other people worshiping God. Like, like burning here isn't hard. It's when I'm all alone in my room at night. Nobody else is around. It's just me. I'm all by myself. Can I go after God there? Can I go after God in my room all alone, just as hard as I went after God tonight? See, this is what John 15, Jesus says, he says the craziest thing. He says, you know, the, you, know this, you know how God loves me? He says, I love you the same way, which is crazy to think of. God loves you the same way. Jesus loves you the same way God loves him. It's crazy to think. And you know what he tells us? Abide in my love for you. Here's your responsibility. Your responsibility is to get out of information where you just hear me talk about his love for you and to get into revelation is where you encounter his love for you. It's called abiding. That's your responsibility. And as much as I love settings like this, that happens all by yourself in the secret place, seeking God when nobody else is around, when nobody else knows you're doing it. When you're in your room at night and you're just saying, God, I want you like I want you more than anything else. God, I want to give you everything. God, I want to encounter your love. Lord, in this room, would you pour out your Holy Spirit? 
You begin to worship. You begin to pray. It's in those moments that the revelation, God loves me. He gave everything for me. It's in that moment that I just say, God, I surrender everything to you. I say yes fully to you. I... Uh, we just, uh, we have to have a generation. Like I, I am not here tonight just to make you feel good. Like I, I am here tonight saying, listen, you are the hope for America. You are the hope for the nations of the earth. God will use your life to save cities. He'll use your life to transform nations. He'll use your life to shift atmospheres and change culture. He'll use your life to see thousands brought into the kingdom, to see orphans loved for and cared for the poor of the earth taken care of. He'll use your life. But it takes a radical commitment to follow Jesus. This is not like a hobby. It's not like a side thing we do. It takes a radical commitment. Every area of my life is surrendered to him. That's what it takes. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Listen, I'm telling you, I was 17 years old. I gave everything, and my struggles didn't stop. I was on my face every day before, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I said sorry yesterday, but I say sorry again. And, and uh, ups and downs in the last 20 years and sin and all this type of stuff. But do you know in the midst of it, my heart has never wavered from God. I want to give you everything. He wants the good, the bad, and the ugly, but he wants it. And I believe I believe that if you'll give him everything, he will release breakthrough in a nation. I know it's all serious tonight, but if, if, if you'll give him everything, he will release breakthrough in a nation. But he is looking for individuals that will lay their life down fully. Man, Jesus is talking. He's always like, listen, you know what? A seed doesn't have any growth until it falls and dies. Where are the ones in our generation that will say, God, I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to lay my reputation down. I'm willing to sacrifice all that I have. I'm willing to give up whatever you're asking me to give up. I'm willing to put all of my energy, all of my focus, everything I have. I'm willing to lay it all down so that there can be growth, so there can be fruit in a generation. I told you before, I feel sentimental right now in this summer for whatever reason because of 20 years, but I just think, man, it was that decision for me at 17, 20 years ago. Just a simple, just a simple commitment to just say, God, I'm going to give you 100%. I'm telling you, he'll use your life. Here's an incredible story of you know Jesus he wants to feed the multitudes and there's thousands of them 5,000 men probably another 10,000 they're there with him and they're hungry 15,000 of them and Jesus looks out and he notices they're hungry and his heart is to feed the multitudes he says does anybody have any food they look around they can't find any but all of a sudden there's a 
there's a young lad, a young boy, the Bible says. In John 6, it says, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves, and listen to this, and two small fish. And this is the phrase they said, but what are they among so many? There's 15,000 people. Jesus wants to feed the multitudes. He's looking around for somebody who's got food. And the disciples say, well, this kid has some. He's got five loaves of bread, and they said two small fish. They said, but what is that among so many? And Jesus said, let me have it. He takes it, he multiplies it, and he feeds the masses. You know what's intriguing to me about that story and what I'm here tonight for? A pretty incredible miracle to take five barley loaves and two small fish and feed 15,000 people. Like, it's a, that's, that's pretty mind-blowing. But do you understand it would have been no more mind-blowing if he just took one loaf of bread and one fish? Like, Jesus could have taken one loaf and one fish just as easy and fed the multitudes. It wouldn't have been any more impressive. But he didn't. He took everything the boy had. The boy comes, the, the boy comes and says, all I have is five, five loaves of bread and two fish. That's all I got. And I, it's not much. I, and I can't, even, I can't even comprehend how you could take five loaves of bread and two small fish and feed the multitudes. I can't even, I can't even wrap my brain around that. And Jesus says, what you have is enough, but I require all of it. He took all five loaves and he took both fish. This is, this is what I believe with all of my heart. This is, what, this is what gets me up in the morning. Is to think of if this room really did that. If this room came before Jesus and just said, Jesus, this is all I got. Like, this is my life. I got struggles. I looked at stuff I shouldn't look at and I, I, I got fear in my life and I gave in to peer pressure and I, I, don't, I don't play any instruments. I don't even feel like I'm that gifted. But this is my life. This is all I got. And I don't know how you could actually use that to change nations. I don't know how you could use that to save cities. And I don't know how you could use that to change the atmosphere of a whole generation. But, but everything I have, it's yours. And Jesus takes your life and he multiplies it and he impacts the masses. But he requires everything you have. You can't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've got five loaves and two fish. Here's one piece. Here's a fish and here's a bread. You have to bring him everything. But, but my promise to you my guarantee to you is if you'll give him everything, he will take your life. You will start a journey. He will take your life and you will be used to impact the world. You will be used to awaken an entire generation. You will be used to see an entire generation awaken to the love and the power of Jesus. But it takes everything you have. 
I'd like to tell you that it's different. I'd like to tell you that Jesus said counting the cost means you have to be willing to forsake some stuff. He said, you gotta, you got to leave it all. you got to leave it all to follow me. It's the best choice in the world. It's the best choice in the world. He is the most incredible father. He is just the most incredible father. I just think, man, I can't imagine living any other way. I, I, sometimes I don't even comprehend it. I, lo- I look at people and think, I can't imagine living any other way but then everything given to him. But this is what God's calling you to. The, the question tonight is whether or not you say yes. I'm telling you, you're going to bring your stuff in. You could talk to any of the leaders up here, David, any of us. It's just like we just came and said, I don't even know what you could do with two fish and five loaves. I'm not that impressive at all. But he says, I'll take it and I'm going to change the world. I'm going to use your life to change the world. I'm going to use your life to change your campus. I'm going to use your life to ignite fires in nations of the earth. I'm going to use your life to change the way education is done. I'm going to use your life to end poverty in nations of the earth. I'm going to use your life to do that. And I think, is there any other way to live? Is there any other way to live? Is there any other way to live? I just can't imagine living some safe, guarded, sane, half-hearted, giving my life to Jesus. What a horribly boring existence. My youth pastor all the time, I don't know if the band's still here, but my youth pastor all the time, we'd get up and he'd say, you know, Kids would say, God's boring. He'd say, God's not boring, you're boring. I just think this is the most incredible journey you'll ever take, giving everything to him. I feel like I just have one message. This is that, like just give everything. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand tonight. I think last time I was here, we probably went after the same thing. I'm going to come, I'm going to hit you again. What I'm really passionate about is nations of the earth being given to Jesus. That's what I want. I want to see entire nations given to Jesus. And I know that the way we're going to see that is to get revivalists raised up that will go into the nations of the earth. But what my heart really is burning for is for nations of the earth to be given to Jesus. I want Jesus to get what he asked for. I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to ask you tonight I'm going to ask you in just a second to come forward if you want to say yes. That's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment. If you want to raise your hand in the midst of people, when Jesus says, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for leaders. I'm looking for people who will give themselves fully to follow me and will actually lead in nations of the earth. But before you say yes tonight, I need you to really count the cost on this thing. 
I'm not talking about you say yes for a moment. I'm not interested in you saying yes for your teenage years. I'm th- that you say yes so fully and so completely that in 20 years, when I run into you, you look at me and say, Banning, I am more on fire for Jesus today than I've ever been in my entire life. I am so ruined for revival. I am so ruined for God to do something in my nation. For the last 20 years since that moment that I came forward, for the last 20 years of my life, I have pursued God with everything in me. I have done everything I can to serve the body of Christ, to serve those that are outcast. I've done everything I can to seek Him and press in. My heart is more alive today than it ever has been. That's the yes I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the yes because of just a moment or the yes because of peer pressure or the yes because it's the cool thing to do right now. I'm looking for those that will say yes and say, I will surrender everything. I don't know what this journey looks like. I don't know what the next 20 years of my life looks like. But what I do know is this, my heart will be his completely. And everything about my life will be pointed at Jesus. Because this is what he's asking from me. This is what he requires from me. He gave me everything. I'm going to give him everything. Your eyes closed in this room. I want you to count the cost. Had the most incredible conversation today with an intern here. Who said the Lord told me to break up with my girlfriend. The next morning I broke up with her. It was hard, but I broke up with her. I'm not telling you tonight to break up with your girlfriend. I'm not telling you tonight to get rid of music. I'm not telling you not to do anything. I'm telling you to give everything and just do what he tells you to do. Whatever that is. You have to count the cost. What if you're the only one amongst your friends that decides to go for God? Would you still do it? Would you still do it? If you're the only one, nobody else goes. It's just you. You're home all alone by yourself on Friday night because all your friends are out hanging out, doing stuff that you can't do anymore because you said yes. Would you sit home all alone, all by yourself? There has to be something inside of you that says, listen, if nobody else goes, I go anyways. I am a leader. I am not a follower. I am not looking for people to go. I will respond to God if nobody else responds. God's called me to lead, not follow. I'm not going to wait around for somebody else. My friends don't determine where I go. I don't care what I look like. I'm going to give everything to him. I want you to count the cost. This is costly. You'll get a treasure in a field and a pearl of great price to return, but it will cost you. Tonight, this is what I'm asking. If you're in this room and you're saying, listen, you can be saved for a lot of years, but you're saying, tonight, I want to say yes fully to Jesus. I want to give him my entire life. I want to do what you did at 17 and say, God, if I'm going to do this Christianity thing, I'm going to do it 100%. Not just for a few days at a conference with thousands of other people, but when I'm all by myself, my heart is going to be burning with a yes for you. If tonight that is you, 
And you hear God calling, you hear Jesus saying, who will lead in a generation? Who will be the one that will lead and shape the course of nations? Who will step out when nobody else steps out? Who will be willing to risk everything for the cause of Christ in the earth? Not for your teenage years, but for the rest of your life. If that yes is in your spirit tonight, I want you to get out of your chairs and I want you to come to the altar and I want you to lift your hands to God. And I want you to say yes to Him. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to say yes out loud. I want you to say yes. We commit tonight, God. If nobody else goes, we go. If nobody else follows, we follow you. I want you to get out of your chair, get in the aisles, just do whatever you got to do. And I want you to lift your hands to heaven. Romans 12 says that we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, set apart to the Lord. Tonight, this is what we do. We come with our lives, five loaves, two small fish. We say, God, here's my life. Tonight, I give you my life fully to you. Not one area untouched. I'm not giving you three loaves and one fish. I'm giving you everything I have tonight. Even the ugly parts. Even the ugly parts I'm given. Once you tell it to him, we give you everything, God. We give you everything. God, tonight I'm asking, God, would you mark, would you mark a generation in this room tonight? Come do what you did for Evan Roberts. Come do what you did for Wesley and Whitfield, for Coolman. Father, we pray you come and mark people tonight.